Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head from Rochester in the UK, Chimak Kosandu from Toronto in Canada, and the UFC's 2022 season is officially underway. And Sandu, what a main event we had to kick off our MMA fighting year. Unbelievable stuff. Featherweights in the cage at the UFC Apex. Calvin Cater, Giga Chikadze, and Calvin Cater making mugs out of the pair of us by putting on an absolutely brilliant performance to pick up a superb win. But how good is it to get fights back and what a performance to kick off the year, Sandu, from, Ge from uh, Calvin Cater. Amazing stuff. That's how it's done. That's how you bounce back, Simon, from a loss, the likes of which he suffered to Max Holloway literally one year ago. Not only were we picking against him, Simon, the, the odds makers had him as the underdog. The bookies had him as an, as an underdog. Every poll I saw out there, including my own personal poll on Twitter, was picking Giga to win. The verdict community, verdict MMA, was picking Giga to win. And so he was the epitome of the underdog. And the performance he put on, it just shows he learned so much from his loss to Max Holloway. Went away, rebuilt himself, has clearly improved over the course of the last 12 months. And aside from perhaps maybe a moment or two in the fight, it felt like Calvin was in complete control. I mean, Giga's face post-fight looked like he'd, he's been, he'd been an extra in a slasher movie. The the elbows that Calvin Quintar had landed throughout the course of 25 minutes have literally chopped up Giga's face. But that being said, it was great to see them post-fight share a moment and kind of have show a bit of that respect in class uh, with, with one of the classic post-fight pictures in the ambulance. But my goodness, Simon, Calvin Quintar legitimately is now solidified as a top five featherweight. And to be fair, I think one more win in 2022 could catapult him into title contention now. Yeah. I mean, the thing that perhaps we didn't give as much stock to when we were building up to this fight was the man's toughness. I mean, he is as tough as a $2 steak, as, uh, as, as the great Jim Ross would say. Unbelievable. He basically, I said in last week's show, he needs to step inside Giga Chikadze's kicking range and make it a rough, tough, dirty fight. That's exactly what he did, mate. It's exactly what he did. He stepped inside. Giga looked really good first couple of minutes. He was throwing the kicks. He was connecting well. Then he had that slip, went down. And then after that, it was as if Calvin Cater was like, right, I'm not letting you kick me anymore. And he just closed the distance on him, roughed him up. And it's interesting, uh, it might have been the BT account tweeted out pictures of Calvin Cater after the Max Holloway fight, all busted up. A picture of him after the Giga Chikatsi fight, looking as busted up, to be honest, possibly even more busted up, but he won this fight. And that was the difference. And Giga Chikadze, skill-wise, he's up there with the very best in the world at 145 pounds. And I think that would have been a real learning experience for him because he now knows what it takes to get to that little extra level where only few, very few fighters reside at 145 pounds. Calvin Kaysa is there. And uh, I think he's probably one win away from getting himself a shot at the belt. It was a huge performance from him. But if you're Giga Chikadze right now, Sandu, I mean, what's the what's the reaction from this? Because, yeah, he got absolutely dominated on the scorecards, but it wasn't an uncompetitive fight. It was a competitive fight. He was in all of the rounds. He was scoring in all of the rounds, but he was just getting outscored in all of the rounds. So what's your reaction to that? Because it wasn't, a bad performance from Giga. He was just beaten by a, a tougher, better man who imposed his will on him. 
Listen, I thought he made a good account of himself. He's clearly already a fan favorite. People and the fans like what he brings to the table. I think he almost needs to do what Calvin did a year ago, is kind of take the loss, no pun intended, on the chin, so to speak, right? Obviously, he's going to have to, you know, re rehab a little bit. I'm sure he's busted up and bruised and cut up, so he's going to be out for a while. But it was only his first loss in the UFC, Simon. Up until now, he's had all this momentum. Eight, nine fight win streak, something crazy like that. You know, reeling off three or four knockouts in a row. He's He was he got himself into a position where he was headlining a fight night card. So, like, I don't feel like this drops him down too much. And I, and I almost feel like the kind of the spiciness between him and Chan Sun Jung the Korean zombie may even play into his favor later this year. It seems as though we're going to get Volkanovski versus a Korean zombie. And if Volkanovski wins, I feel like Giga Chikadze versus Chan Sung Jung later on this year might be the move. Um, so Giga just needs to sit back a little bit and see how that fight plays out and then perhaps, you know, get another main event on a fight night card with a Korean zombie. What do, what do you think about that one, Sai? Yeah, I think that that group of fighters at the top of the forty-five division. You know, there's so many interchangeable matchups there, and and Chikadze, I think, has proved with his winning run that got him to the fight on Saturday that he deserves to be up there. And the fact he hung in there with with Calvin Cater, that, you know, he, he did some good things, but I think that was his first time in a, in a five rounder in the UFC, first time operating at that elite level in the UFC. Obviously, he's been very successful in kickboxing. But at mixed martial arts elite level, that was really his first his first sort of toe in the water. And I think now it's a case of go back, learn from what happened, come back again. And if he could take someone coming off a title fight, you know, a defeat off a title fight, that basically puts him one, maybe two wins away from the belt still. So it's I don't think it's all it's all bad news for for Giga Chikadze. I, I do think he's he's definitely someone who's going to be a contender for at least the next couple of years, I would imagine, and maybe even a champion in the future. Who knows? This division is just insane. But speaking of the division, Sandu, I mean, there's been a lot of a lot of chat going on in and around this fight. You mentioned the Alexander Volkanovsky situation. He was due to fight Max Holloway at 272. That fight got scrapped because Max got injured. It's now been pushed back to 273, and he's going to face Korean Zombie. But there's all sorts going on. We had Jakadze was throwing his hat in the ring. Henry Cejudo was throwing his hat in the ring. Um, Henry Cejudo seems to be generating headlines uh, alongside anybody you think of. There's, he's got a spat with Conor McGregor. He's talking to Dana, he's talking to talking back to Dana White. He was talking to Giga Chikadze. What's what's the situation with him? I mean, are we you know are we going to see him? Or are we not going to see him? I mean, what's the situation with with Henry Cejudo? That's the question, isn't it? Like like you said, Simon, he was chirping up on social media last week. He was trying to angle. Uh, to get in there for that 145-pound title fight against Alexander Volkanovsky. And unfortunately, Dana White and the UFC are not going to play ball. We we spoke about this a little bit last week, where we both agree that it doesn't seem as though Henry Cejudo has kind of played his cards well over the last couple of years in terms of bowing out, kind of catching the UFC off guard, blindsiding Dana White and the UFC brass. He's gone away, you know, had a kid, Seems like he's a bit more settled in his personal life. He he talked about on social media how he needed the break, you know, having had a long Olympic career and then going straight into combat sports, going straight into mixed martial arts at the very highest level in the UFC, becoming a two-way champion. And he just seems as though he needed to, you know, let his body rejuvenate. And, and it feels like he's raring to come back, but 
the kind of opportunity he wants and what perhaps Dana White and the UFC are willing to offer him seem to be completely far apart. It doesn't seem as though Dana White, and he says so much in the post-fight press conference, is going to give Henry Cejudo a title opportunity at 145. He kind of just said, hey, listen, he's retired. And although there is precedent set here with the likes of George St. Pierre having a long break, coming back in a different weight class and becoming a, a champion at 185 pounds, I just don't think Henry Cejudo has the draw power and the star power of a GSP to, you know, to even bring something to the negotiation table that will sway the UFC in his favor. So it looks as though if Henry Cejudo is kind of come back and maybe he's, you know, really interested in fighting again in 2022, it won't be a title fight immediately. And, and even if it is, it won't be at 145. It will most likely be at Bantamweight or Flyweight. Yeah, it's a tricky one. I remember when he retired. He caught, he didn't just blindside Dana White, he blindsided the entire MMA world. I, I certainly did not see that coming. I don't think many other people did. It was a complete shock at the time. And clearly, it, it was such a huge surprise to Dana and the UFC to find out in the in the cage afterwards, rather than getting a little nod outside beforehand. I mean, that's not ideal. But as you say, he hasn't got that star power. I mean, athletic credentials, athletic achievements... He's up there with the greatest that we've ever seen inside the UFC. You know, you, his list of accomplishments in MMA and obviously leading in stands up against just about anybody. So, you know, the kudos to, needs to go to him for that. But you can't piss off the boss, can you? You can't piss off the boss. And I know he's got uh, Ali Abdelaziz as his manager and Ali's got a great relationship with the UFC. Well documented that he's got a great relationship with the UFC. Ali's got some work to do because... It seems like Henry, and even in the way Henry's reacting to things, coming out and he does his show with the schmo, and he's he's got this this uh, king of cringe triple C persona, and he's he's very sort of fast and loose with the way he says things, and that's how he's putting himself across because that's how he sells himself. But doing that in public with the UFC brass, I don't think he's going to help him much either. I think it, these these sorts of things need to happen behind closed doors have a grown-up conversation about it and find out what is feasible because he is a star. He might not be the biggest star, but he is a star and the UFC will be better with him in it. So I just hope that some way or another they can get around a table, hopefully in person, thrash out a deal that gets Henry back into the cage, whether it's at 25, 35 or 45, just get him back in there, get him in circulation again, get him competing and then we'll see what happens with him because the sport would be better off with him back in there in whatever weight division. So um, looking forward, hopefully, to seeing him back in in uh, 2022. Did I see you tweeted some some odds on whether he would come back uh, this year? I think the I think the bookies are basically siding on the fact that he might well come back. I think they're, they're saying he is going to come back. I think it's minus 200, if I remember rightly, uh, for him yeah. to come back. Yeah, minus 200 for him to come back and compete again in 2022, plus 150, for him not to and I have to say I think I like the underdog bet here Simon because what we just spoke about this what Henry Cejudo wants and what the UFC are willing to give him is completely far apart I can definitely see Henry Cejudo just waiting it out maybe in another year and kind of almost letting maybe the featherweight division play out to a point where if Volkanovski is still a dominant champion and he's kind of run through all of the contenders. If he beats Chan Sung Jung, if he beats Max Holloway again, 
it's like who else is there and then perhaps it might force the ufc's hand at that point to give Cejudo an opportunity and give him that shot but it's an interesting situation because henry Cejudo obviously clearly wants to fight again he isn't a spring chicken he's looking for big paydays he's looking for title opportunities but as we know with the ufc and the brass and, and how they've dealt with you know other fighters and it's going to be something that we speak about when it, when we preview this weekend's main event it's you know it's most of the time it's their way or the highway yeah and the thing with gsp gsp was a bona fide pay-per-view draw you put him at the top of the fight card stick him on the poster people will buy the event you know that tests have shown it's been proven and that fight with michael bisbing at msg was a huge fight henry cejudo versus Alexander and Alexander Volkanovsky is a huge fight, but it's not an absolute box office blockbuster. Um, and that's the thing. That's the thing. And I think, would it be too terrible if Henry came back and took a tune-up fight? That's my question. Would it be that bad for him if he came in and fought a top five contender in whatever division it was that he wanted to come back in, take a top five guy, beat them, then make all the noise you want because you're active. You've got a win against a top five guy. You're in the conversation just through sporting means because he's been away and he hasn't fought a 45 before. If, if 45 is his preferred destination, get in the division, get a win. And then all of a sudden, all of the noise you're making is just going to be all the louder and people are going to be like, hang on a minute, this guy is a contender. He can do it at 45 and he looks good coming back. That's what all of that evidence needs to be put in front of people's eyes and then people go, okay, the question marks are all being ticked off now. Let's give him let's give him what he wants. And the thing is, and, and I completely understand the UFC's position here, they would be concerned that Henry is simply interested in coming back, becoming a three-weight champion, something that no other fighter in UFC history has ever done before, and then just rides off into that sunset with that acclaim. And they got burnt before with GSP. GSP came back, became the middleweight champion, and then hasn't hasn't fought ever again since, and so when you're when you're running a business and you're kind of banking on champions to be a part of your pay per view offering two three times a year, it puts them in a bit of a tricky situation because then if he comes in wins the forty five strap, bounces, then it's it's a bit of, it's a bit of hard work to then crown a new champion. There's illegitimacy. It, it there's a bit of a illegitimacy with the the championship. There couldn't even get my words out. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's a bit of a problematic situation. Um, if if there was some sort of way for Henry to come back and give the UFC some reassurance that you know he'll come back for X number of fights, he'll stick at 145. If there was some trust there, some genuine trust built up that they can really work together over the course of two, three, or four fights, that perhaps they can get it done. But like you said, I think the biggest thing holding Henry back right now is. He just doesn't have that draw power of a Connor or a GSP or a Nate or a, even a Jorge, uh, where they've got opportunity after opportunity, uh, you know, after opportunity because of their ability to move the needle. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this all shakes out. However, it does work out. You can guarantee the net winner will be the UFC because if they bring him back, it'll be because they know he's gonna he's gonna make some money for him. So we'll see how all of that pans out and. On a similar tack, before we launch into UFC 270, Sandy, just very briefly, Francis Ngannou's contract situation is really interesting. Francis Ngannou is on his last fight of his UFC contract. If he loses, he's a free agent. If he wins, 
I believe his contract has extra fights tacked onto it because he's a champion. What happens if Francis Ngannou loses this fight? Will he explore free agency? He wants to box. He's asked the UFC for bigger paydays. I don't want to fight for half a million dollars anymore, is what he said. And I want to box. How's this going to work? Because the only person the UFC has ever let step inside the squared circle to box is a certain Mr. C. McGregor of Dublin. And that was for the biggest box office fight you could make against Floyd Mayweather. Now, Francis Ngannou versus Tyson Fury would be pretty tasty box office fodder, let's be honest. But would the UFC go for it? Would they do it again? Could Dana White work with Bob Arum, which is what would have to happen in order for that fight to happen? But, I mean, this is all for instances and, and could it happen, but because Francis Ngannou's got Cyril Gunn on Saturday. But I just want, very quickly before we talk about that fight, I just want to get your take on that whole contract thing because... It's all a little bit. It's all a little bit misty and murky, and we don't quite know. I mean, Fran- arguably, for Francis to get what he wants, he needs to lose on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, even if he wins, I don't think he'll sign another bout agreement, and it'll be a bit tough for the UFC just to go back to their playbook and then get another interim title fight booked. I mean, what do they do this time? Do they say, "Hey, John Jones, do you want to fight Stephen Miocic for an interim title, heavyweight title?" They haven't sorted things out with John Jones either and it seems so he's still quite a ways away from making his return I don't know if he'll even fight this year it seems like he's going to take the whole year just to bulk up to heavyweight we haven't seen Stipe fight since he lost a strap either it seems you know the, the UFC have done a good enough job up until this point to generate another worthy contender in Cyril Garn and there's obviously a fantastic backstory there between him and Francis Ngannou but in the eyes of the fans whether you're casual or hardcore, if Francis wins this weekend, there is no doubt of him being the best pound for pound fight, best heavyweight fighter in the world. And it's going to be tough for the UFC to, I guess, negotiate with Francis um, if he wins because their stance is pretty solidified. He's been very vocal in terms of what he wants. And when you think about the UFC allowing Conor McGregor to, to box Floyd Mayweather, it was all pre-ESPN. It was all pre-the big sale. And Conor McGregor, you know, the timing couldn't have worked out any better. I mean, let's, let's, let's be honest, like, in the current state of how the UFC is structured from a corporate point of view, does Conor McGregor get the opportunity to fight Floyd Mayweather now? I don't know. I don't think so. I feel like the UFC are pretty much, you know solidified in their in their position and their business in terms of the events that they're trying to put on the the contractual obligations they have to their broadcast partners which is how they make the, the vast majority of their money and so it's going to be an interesting one it's just going to be a damn shame if francis wins this weekend and that's the last time we we see him fight in the ufc i mean it feels like you know he and he's put it out there if he doesn't get what he wants from the ufc and the thing is, is because the negotiations have been so public, that's not how the UFC like to do business. They like to keep it behind closed doors. And we've already seen, you know, a situation with Dana White and the head of CAA Combat Sports, Markel Martin, get a little bit ugly via social media. Obviously, we saw this past weekend, Caitlin Chikagian, who's also repped by CAA. She's currently a free agent and she's riding a win streak at flyweight. It's bizarre Mad. that someone that is highly ranked as she is on a win streak is currently out of contract with the UFC. But because 
she's signed with CAA, does she become a pawn in the this kind of game of politics and chess being played behind the scenes? There is so much riding on this weekend's main event. Outside of the actual you know, competition of two elite heavyweight mixed martial artists, the politics, the business, the future of how this year plays out, the, the precedent that could potentially be set depending on results is so fascinating to a lot of people, especially I think the media and the hardcore fans that really get it and really understand what's going on. Um, so my God, I mean, there's, there's so many ways to kind of dissect this and, and, you know, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer in terms of what your position is. But ultimately, I think one thing that everyone can agree on, Simon, is that you want to see the fighters get paid the most amount of money they can. And it seems as though right now there's some momentum behind fighters trying to fight out their contracts and trying to explore free agency because of all of the options out there in the combat sports world right now. Yeah, it is a difficult one. And But how weird would it be? for the UFC heavyweight champion to basically down tools and say, I'm done. I'm done with this. You're not going to give me what I want, so I'm done. And the Conor McGregor situation, I think, was also different because the UFC wanted to get Conor back in the cage again. And it almost felt like they needed to give a little bit to Conor in order to get a lot back from Conor. And I almost feel like they had to kind of indulge him a little bit in order to get him back into the octagon again. And uh, that's that's kind of what happened, really. You know, he ended up back back in the cage again after the after the Floyd Floyd Mayweather fight. But this one, this one feels different, and I'm very interested. Like it's it's kind of an, un, it's an underlying backstory that just sort of bubbling under the surface. Everything in this in this bout has been about the rivalry between Francis Ngannou and his old gym and his old coach Fernand Lopez, and the little niggly back and forth that we've seen between between the two parties and it just seems more serious than that is the contractual situation and it's unthinkable to think that Francis Ngannou would not be competing in the UFC after this weekend I really hope that whatever happens win lose or draw we see Francis Ngannou back in a cage again more than once in 2022 I want to see him as a, as a staple of the UFC heavyweight division, whether he's got a belt over his shoulder or whether he hasn't. So we'll see how all of that pans out. But, of course, the elephant in the room right now, his name is Cyril Garn, and he is undefeated. He's 10-0. and 0. He's looked pretty damn good so far in his UFC run, and he's got himself a title shot. He's got a belt of his own. He's the interim heavyweight champion right now, which has kind of forced, forced uh, his, his way into the championship picture. But against Francis Ngannou, this fearsome knockout machine. We don't know the full details of their sparring. We don't know just how much sparring they actually did. But picking picking a winner out of this, I know a lot of there's a lot of intrigue over Cyril Garn. I'll give you my take on this. I think Francis Ngannou knocks out Cyril Garn in the first round. I genuinely think we are going to see more of the same from Francis Ngannou. Cyril Garn is a big, strong, technical heavyweight. He carries his hands low. He carries his hands low. And that, for me, is a recipe for disaster against Francis Ngannou. And unless Cyril Garn can catch Francis Ngannou with something big early, I think he will get steamrolled in exactly the same way we've seen other heavyweights in the UFC. You look at his knockout his knockout rate. He's got five knockouts in his last five fights. Curtis Blades, Cain Velasquez, Junior Dos Santos, Jozino Rosenstreich, and Stipe Miocic. All knockouts. Bang, 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 bang. Bush, all gone. And... 
only Stipe got out of the first round. And of all of those first round finishes, only Junior Dos Santos got past the first minute. So we need to remember this. I know we haven't seen Francis for a little bit. And Cyril Garni is kind of like the new flavor of the month. And the UFC have been pushing him a lot. You look at what they've been doing on uh, on social media. You look at what they're putting out on YouTube. They are really bigging up Cyril Garn, and and rightfully so. He's 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 a legit challenger, and he's got a championship belt. But he's not fought Francis Ngannou yet. He won the he won the belt by beating Derek Lewis, and but he hasn't fought anybody who held a championship belt yet. So if he goes in there and beats Francis Ngannou, props to him. He is the he is the real deal. But I just think Francis Ngannou is going to go in there and just flatline him. I really do. I think there's going to be a lot of pent-up frustration. And I think once Francis gets through those first few seconds of sort of sizing him up, it's just going to go boom. And that's going to be it. First round finish. And uh, what will happen then? What will he say on the microphone? That's going to be almost as intriguing. Because how can the UFC deny him if he goes in there and absolutely smokes the next best heavyweight in the world? having smoked the previous five, John Jones is the only guy left. So I'm looking forward to seeing it. But I, I think it's going to be and still. I think it's going to be violent. I think it's going to be quick. What do you reckon? I can definitely see that scenario playing out, Simon. I really can. Because like you said, that's typically how a Francis Ngannou fight plays out. He gets it done quick. He barely breaks a sweat. He usually knocks out his opponent in spectacular and vicious fashion. I am such a fan of Cyril Garn, though, Simon. I mean, who isn't? Let's be honest. He's undefeated. He's 10-0. He he almost feels as though he looks like and performs like the, the prototypical modern MMA heavyweight, where he's big, he's muscular, he's powerful, he's light on his feet, he's got great footwork, he's well-conditioned. It seems as though he's got real good, you know, octagon IQ, and he seems to get better and better every time he's out there and performing. And so if you think Cyril Garn's going to win this weekend and you're going to put some money behind him, I don't blame you. I can I can see a scenario playing out where Cyril Garn will win. And obviously there's the history there. They used to be sparring partners. You know, Fernand Lopez, longtime coach of, of Francis Ngannou, now has another heavyweight in Cyril Garn to take on his former pupil. I mean, just the story itself, the narrative is is fascinating. Something from a Rocky movie. But um, if you're going to ask me, put a gun to my head, who am I picking? I'm with you, Simon. I have to stick with Francis Ngannou because, you know, since he had that really lackluster performance with Derek Lewis... He really hasn't given us, you know, much reason to doubt what he does and what he brings to the table. It's almost as, nah. as as though that performance is what he needed to get his ass into gear and say, right, that's not good for me. That's not good for my legacy. That's not how I become a star and how I become a draw in this sport. That is not how I capture the imagination of the people watching at home. And since then, my goodness, he's got a highlight reel of highlight reel knockouts on his resume and... I agree with you, Simon. I feel like it's going to be early. I think Francis Ngannou knocks out Cyril Ngannou in the first round. I feel like the fallout of this fight is going to be highly emotional. Let's see what Francis Ngannou says. I would be very interested to see a microphone and and um, and a camera positioned on his manager, Markel Martin. Let's see what that post-fight interview looks like. 
Let's see what he says in the post-fight press conference. There's already talk of him wearing a watch at the weigh-ins, which is probably going to create some symbolism in, it, in itself in terms of time running out. How does Dana White react to all of this if he wins in the post-fight press conference? How much of uh, the reading between the lines do we as fans and members of the media do? I, I mean, this has got everything that we haven't seen before in a heavyweight fight in modern UFC history. You know, there's been fighters who have been heavyweight champions and that have perhaps been at loggerheads with the UFC, but not not in recent memory. You know, even Stipe, you know, figured it out, even though he was never really happy with his situation. He kind of figured it out. But the way Francis has played his hand here has, uh, has been very interesting, to say the least. And... It's going to be highly... I, I just can't wait. I genuinely cannot wait because the future of both Francis and Garner, the heavyweight division, free agency, and, and everything else that comes along with it, CAA and their relationship with the UFC, there's so much riding on this particular fight and this particular main event. And um, yeah, I, I just, I'm just chomping at the bit. I can't wait for Saturday night. Well, we've seen various iterations of Francis Ngannou as he's made his way up through the UFC. We've seen the really raw, rough around the edges, uh, Francis Ngannou. And then we've seen him work his way through. We've seen those edges gradually get smoothed off. We've seen his cardio get addressed. We've seen him get humbled by Stipe Miocic. We've seen him in a terrible fight against Derek Lewis. I was there. And uh, since then, as you say, it's been full steam ahead. Perhaps the one thing we haven't seen yet is a pissed off Francis Ngannou, an angry Francis Ngannou, a Francis Ngannou who perhaps feels like he's got the world on his shoulders or a, a, a massive chip on his shoulder and a point to prove. It's incredible to think that the heavyweight champion of the world who has smoked his last five opponents by knockout has got anything to prove. But that may well be the mindset going into this. And he's got his ex-teammate standing across the cage from him, his ex-coach standing in the opposite corner, the guy he left to go and better himself in the States. This is just fascinating. This, this, I think you said it's a bit like a Rocky movie. You could make a film out of this. You really could. And you've got the fact that half of Africa is going to be cheering him on. You know, he, he's a standard bearer for the UFC in Africa, along with Kamara Usman, along with Israel Adesanya. So there's high stakes in this. And if he goes in there and smokes Cyril Garn, then I think, you know, the UFC can't, can't do anything but give the man what he wants surely surely i mean with regard to the boxing the only thing that maybe they could try and stipulate is okay we'll let we'll let you go fight tyson fury but tyson fury's got to come fight you in the octagon this is this is a two-fight deal we're giving them a fight they come give us a fight and i think that would that to me is the thing that's always been missing from these boxing and MMA conversations. No one ever wants to get in a cage, do they? Have you noticed this? No one ever wants to get in a cage because they're not stupid. No one wants to get in a cage. But Francis Ngannou is not going to take you down and look for leg locks and, and rear naked chokes. He's going to go in there and try and knock your head off. He'll just have four ounce gloves on. And why not? Why not make that happen? That would be just, per you know, just a perfect scenario. Won't happen, of course, but... It's too much risk. And I think that's the thing. Tyson Fury and his handlers would not want to risk him getting smashed in the UFC octagon, just as if Francis Ngannou is the UFC heavyweight champion, the UFC would arguably be mad to put him in a boxing ring 
with Tyson Fury and let him get his head boxed off for 12 rounds or fewer. So I understand it. They're protecting their investment. But if, if you're going to deny him that opportunity, you've got to back up the Brinks truck, as they say stateside. They've got to give him some serious, serious cash and, and keep him active. So... And it all hinges on what happens on Saturday night. It is a huge, huge fight. The stakes are absolutely sky high wherever you look. And I'm buzzing for this. This is going to be a huge... Uh, it's, I'm going to be wide awake at about half past five, six a.m. when those two eventually make the walk to the octagon. I cannot wait. So we're both on board. First round KO, Francis Ngannou. Quick word on Cyril Garn briefly. We've both basically predicted that he's going to get beat. He is an incredible fighter. He has done remarkable things in the UFC. He has beaten a former champion in Junior Dos Santos back in 2020. He's beaten Josino Rosenstroy, Alexander Volkov, Derek Lewis. So there he's last four. He's been the distance twice in those. Five rounds both times. So we know he's got the gas tank to go the distance if, let's make a case for Cyril Gunn, if he can get through that first round, if he can get through the second round, this fight might start to look a little bit different, especially if in those first two rounds he started having success with his leg kicks and maybe mixed a takedown or two into the mix. It's not beyond the realm of possibility. He is a big, strong, tough guy. He's able to get the fight to the mat. He has submission wins to his name. He's more well-rounded, arguably, than Francis. Um, how If he's going to get it done, Sandu, how is he going to get it done? Will it be on the scorecards? Will it be a late submission finish how do you think what's his best path to victory i guess is the question i think he has to go the distance simon and i feel like he almost needs to model his strategy similar to what steve miocic did with francis and Garnu the first time they fought in boston I, I was there in boston for that one cage side francis and Garnu came out like a bat out of hell in that first round. And I, and I still, to this day, that first round between Nganu and Miocic is one of the most exhilarating rounds of heavyweight MMA I've been able to see that up close and personal because it was insane. But then after that, Francis Nganu sim simply emptied the gas tank. We haven't really seen him since then go 25 minutes. And the fact that Cyril Gunn has gone the distance quite a few times as of late, I've already mentioned how well-conditioned he is. He's very, very light on his feet. I feel like he needs to be very cautious and almost kind of point-fight this matchup and take it to the championship rounds. And if later in the fight he sees an opportunity where he could perhaps go for the knockout or perhaps he can take down Francis Ngannou and maybe go for a submission. Fantastic. If the opportunity presents itself, great. But I feel like his easiest path to victory will to see this all the way through the 25 minutes and, and take it on the scorecards. Yeah, you say he's not gone 25 minutes. His last five fights went like seven and a half minutes total. So that's that's what we're talking about. It is the marathon runner versus the 100-meter sprinter, isn't it? And And... He's got to get through that danger zone of the first two rounds. He gets through those first two rounds, this fight could look very different. And we've seen it in other fights in the past, in other weight classes. Nullify that knockout threat. The, the fast twitch fibers start to slow down a little bit. The lactic acid starts to fill up, fill up those arms. It gets a bit tricky. Fascinated to see how this one plays out. I'm going with Francis Ngannou. You're going with Francis Ngannou. But let's see how it all goes on Saturday night. Right, let's take a look. At the co-main event of the evening, our second title fight of the night, Sandu. And this one, I know most of the attention is on the heavyweight title fight, but this one could steal the show. This could be the one that we're all talking about 
in terms of just back and forth, ridiculous, fast-paced action. Brandon Moreno, UFC flyweight champion. Davison Figueredo, former UFC flyweight champion. A trilogy fight. The first fight ended in a draw. Figueredo, I think, was going to win that fight. Groin shot, point deduction. I think he got two points deducted, actually, in that fight. That cost him. Ended in a draw. Second fight, Moreno come back, put on the performance of a lifetime. Won the title. It's trilogy time. Who walks away with the belt this time? Will it be Brandon? Will it be Davison? It's going to be an absolute firefight before we find out. But my goodness me, what a fight this is going to be. How much fun is this, Simon, where the co-main and main event are a showcase of the heaviest weight class and the lightest weight class. We've got the heavyweights in the main event. You've got the flyweights in the co-main event. You're literally looking at the, the heaviest hitters versus the fastest fighters in the world. And they're two of the best. Davis and Figueredo, Simon, I don't know if you've had a chance to see his social media post this week. He is looking shredded. It seems as though he's finally nailed this weight cut and he's got the right uh, dietitians and nutrition experts. And he feels, feels like he's done all the right things, put in the prep work, and he looks phenomenal. He, he really does. This is the best he's ever looked. I can't wait to... And this is before even the weigh-ins. So I can't wait to see what he looks like. I don't know how much more he has left to cut, but it can't be too much more. Uh, but he's going to look absolutely shredded um you know when he hits the scales but brandon moreno for me you know i think i've seen enough now in their first two fights i feel like moreno's got his number simon he's the younger fighter he feels like moreno's finally kind of entering his prime here and you know he's kind of almost taken to championship status uh, almost a little tongue-in-cheek where he's almost not taking himself too seriously it feels like the pressure of being a ufc champion hasn't really got to him he's he's very kind of happy and giddy and he seems like a likable fella you know he, he's he's signed with the diaz brothers represent clothing brand he's got deals i think in place with lego um you know, every single time he takes a picture with anyone, he's always goofing around. And I mean, you can't really hate the guy, can you? And he's one of the best mixed martial artists in the world on top of all of that. So yeah, I can't wait. This should be a good one. It's huge for Mexico to have a champion like Brandon Moreno. And I feel like, you know, he's just got the belt, but I feel like 2022 can be the year where he uses that status as champion. He fights two or three times. And he really puts that kind of marker down that he is the UFC's representation of Mexico and Mexican MMA. And, you know, let's see if later on this year the borders open up a little bit more, if they can go to Mexico with, you know, Brandon Moreno, if he's still champion at that time uh, in, a, in a headlining situation, uh, headlining a pay-per-view or a fight night or something, I don't know. But, man, Brandon Moreno, for me, is going to win this weekend, Simon. And, and I feel like it'll it'll go the distance I think this is going to be a contest that will will go the two, the the full twenty five, uh, because I feel like Figueredo obviously he's so incentivized to get his belt back. He's seen himself now enough of Moreno to know what he perhaps needs to do uh, to to break down Moreno. But I, I just feel like a twenty eight year old versus a thirty four year old, a thirty four year old who even though he seems as though it has done all the right things, looks in incredible shape. I just feel like Moreno's that split second quicker and faster when they're actually fighting in the cage. Yeah, I've got questions. This is this is such a good fight. This is such a good fight. First of all, Brandon Moreno, Cinderella story. 
You know, we talk about making movies of people's careers. Brandon Renner got cut from the UFC in 2018. He was he was done. He lost two straight. He lost to Sergio Pettis, Alexandra Pantoja. You're off. Sorry, thanks. Walking papers gone. Goes to LFA. Has a fight in LFA. Wins their flyweight title, and immediately gets called back into the UFC. And he's not lost since. Couple of draws in there, but he's been undefeated ever since. And he's had two goes at the flyweight title. First fight was a draw, as we said. Second fight, absolutely one of the individual performances of the year back in June last year. Brilliant performance. And it was a real feel-good moment. I remember we went on and did a pod after that and we were beaming from ear to ear because it was just such a happy, joyous moment. And I think he had half his family were in the cage with him after that. It was it was an incredible, incredible night. Now, can he repeat that? Because the pressure's on him now. Fighting up to try and win a belt is one thing. Fighting to retain that title when you're the guy carrying the target on your back different matter so how is he going to deal with that he's the champ the expectation is on him now i remember going into that fight everybody i think including us were picking davison figueredo to retain his title so the shoes on the other foot now how will he react to being the guy that everybody is expecting to do well you've just picked brandon reno i'm picking brandon brandon reno as well because my my question marks are larger over davison figueredo and it's partly due to the photo that you just referred to on social media. He looks absolutely shredded to the bone almost. That worries me. How much more weight can he possibly lose? What weight was he in that photo? And you just mentioned his age as well. He's not a youngster in this game. He's 34 years of age. Losing, Gaining and losing weight gets harder the older you get. And for me... That actually raises a couple of red flags for me. Why is he looking like that a week out from the fight? He should be looking in shape. Should he be looking that in shape? That's how you look when you get on the scale, when you've cut the weight, when you've got nothing left. If he looks like that and he's still got a cut, that worries me. The big question mark is how much did he weigh in that photo? So that that has me slightly concerned. Also... How's he going to do if he is tight at the weight, if he is going to have to really go through a grueling cut to make 125, not 100, not 126, 125, then his his resistance is going to be tricky. Let's not forget, he missed weight for a title fight previously against Joseph Benavidez. He beat Joseph Benavidez, knocked him out, didn't win the belt because he couldn't make weight. So we have to consider that as well. I would not be massively surprised if Davison Figueroa does not make weight. If he looks that tight now, Let's bear that in mind when we go through fight week and look at the weigh-ins on Friday. I will be watching that weigh-in like a hawk just to see how he looks. If he goes in fully fit, ready to go, on weight, then it's a, then it's down to how tight was that weight cut. How did, how did he look on the scale? Because things like punch resistance come into it. And he got pinged a couple of times in the in the rematch by Brandon Reno. So this is going to be a hell of a fight. I think Brandon Reno is going to finish him. And I think he might do it by TKO this time. But... It's going to be a hell of a fight, but I think Brandon Moreno will retain his title, cement his position at the top of that 125-pound division. And who knows? Maybe Henry Cejudo might call him out next. We just don't know. But that is going to be such a huge fight, and I am absolutely buzzing for this fight card. Give me one under-the-radar fight from this fight card that you're particularly looking forward to. It is mainly about those two title fights, to be fair. But is there any individual fighter or any individual matchup 
that has caught your eye that you're going to make sure you check out on fight night? Well, the funny thing is, Simon, every fight outside of the main and co-main event is flying under the radar here. Let's, let's be honest. Let's call it like we see it. Like This event, this pay-per-view is all about the main event and the co-main event. And, and let's be honest, it's more so about that main event. The narrative this week, the stories this week are all going to be about Nganu versus Gan. You know, and outside of that, hopefully there's enough of a mention there of Moreno and Figueredo. But outside of those four lads, like it, you're not going to get too much coverage or interest in any of the other fights. But that's why you've asked me what is a fight that is flying under the radar. And for me, it's Michelle Pereira versus Andre Fialo. It's a welterweight contest. Somebody else, Simon, Michelle Pereira. Jesus, have you seen him on social media? It was almost like a double whammy. We, you saw... Davison Figueredo absolutely shredded to bits. And then Michelle Pereira also just absolutely shredded to bits. He's a fun fighter. You don't know what you're going to get with him when he steps into the octagon. He is really, really wild. But somehow, some way, more often than not, he seems to get it done. And he's in a situation now, Simon, where he's really riding some momentum. You know, three fights uh, in a row, he's won. And, and maybe this is the year where he can, you know, not too you know, bring the temperature down in terms of how he performs in the cage, but maybe perhaps realize that putting out, putting together a win streak and getting some momentum behind your career means something where you could perhaps be vying for a title shot in the not too distant future. But to do that, you got to keep winning. You got to keep performing and you got to keep getting those results. That's, that's paramount. And outside of that, if you want to do something flashy in the cage or something you know crazy in, in the post-fight celebratory aftermath, absolutely go for it. But um, yeah, the fact that he's just a wild man is what intrigues me the most about this particular contest. Yeah, he's an absolute nutter, isn't he? I, I love watching him fight. You never know what you're going to get. Well, you do. You can get backflips at some point. The fight I'm looking forward to, Ilya Tapuria versus Charles Jordan. It's going to be quite early on on the fight card. It's currently listed second. 145 pounds. Charles Jordan is legit. He's been around for a while. He is technically superb. 12-4-1, coming off a win against undefeated Spaniard Ilya Tapuria. Undefeated, as I say, 11-0. This man is the real deal. Trust me. He's going to be a couple of wins, and he's going to be up there with the big guns. We might see him against the likes of Giga Chikadze in the not-too-distant future. He is that good. So look out for that. Second fight on the card. Assuming all these fights stay intact, and in this age of COVID, who the hell knows? Um, but that is the one I'm looking forward to. Ilya Tapuria is the guy I've got my eye on this weekend. Sandu, huge fight night, two huge title fights, and uh, I cannot wait to get back on the mic with you next week to unpack it all. But before we go... Tell the boys and girls out there how they can follow us and get involved with the show. The place to go to is the BritPackMMA.com. That's the BritPackMMA.com. That's our website. From there, you can find links to the podcast, links to follow so Simon on social media, follow myself on social media. Uh, we are the BritPackMMA on Twitter, if you want to follow the handle there. We're available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And... Both platforms now allow you to rate or review in some way, shape or form. So regardless of whether you listen to us on Spotify or Apple, if you can carve out 15 to 20 seconds once you've stopped listening to this week's show to give us a rate, give us a review, that goes a long way on helping the show get found on these platforms. Yeah, it's going to be a big weekend this weekend. UFC 270 
get the beers in the fridge, get your tactical nap in early doors if you're on my side of the pond. Just chill out and have fun if you're on Sandu's side of the pond. You're so lucky you don't have to get up in the middle of the night. But it's going to be a huge night. We're going to be wide awake for that main event. And uh, we'll be back next week to unpack it all right here on the Brit Pack.